welcome back to another episode of Living the Victorious Christian Life with your host, Pastor Will McLeod. And today I have with us Assistant Pastor uh, Reverend Clayton McLeod. Uh, he is also my son and a fellow uh, laborer in the gospel. And today we're going to be discussing the topic of justification. Uh, what is justification? What does justification look like? Uh, what does justification mean in apostolic Pentecostalism? And what does justification uh, mean in the denominal Christian world? Uh, at the end of the day, everything that defines salvation comes from the Word of God. We must look to the Word of God to determine what justification is, what justification looks like, and what is the proper response of every Christian, every Christian believer to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about this topic, justification. Um, early this morning, I preached a message called The Lost Revelation. And I think in apostolic Pentecostalism, in a lot of our movement, we have forgotten the revelation of justification. We have forgotten what it means. We have forgotten the value of justification. And I think that it's important that we revisit this topic often because there is a vast difference between justification and sanctification. And so over the next few episodes, we're going to talk about this process of justification and we're going to talk about sanctification, what that is and how it applies to a believer's salvation as well. But I want us to go in scripture uh, to Acts chapter 13 and verse 39. Acts chapter 13 and verse 39. And I'm going to have uh, Brother McLeod uh, here read to us uh, from Acts chapter 13, verse 39, what the Apostle Luke is pinning and writing uh, as he records the Acts of the Apostles. And by him... All that believe are justified from all things, from which ye cannot be justified by the law of Moses. So here what he is saying is, is that by him, by Jesus Christ, all that believe in the work that he has done, they are justified. They are found righteous in the eyes of God from all things that would separate them from God. From the which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What he's saying is, is there was a place for the law, but the law could not justify you. The law could not save you. And so Paul picks up on this in the letter to the Roman church. And so let's go through the book of Romans and let's talk about this process of justification. And we're going to go back to the book of Acts because the book of Romans can truly be understood the way Paul was conveying it only through going through the book of Acts. But we're going to jump over here to the book of Romans. We're going to, we're going to see what Paul is conveying to the Roman church about justification. And we're going to look at where the misunderstanding comes into play. Now, uh, here in Romans chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So here in, in this beginning 
epistle to the Romans, he is saying there is a response. There is a requirement to obey and be a doer. No, we're not saved by any acts of our own, but there are some expectations in how a believer should respond to the to to justification. And so we go on to Romans chapter 3, verses number 4, and uh, Brother Clay here will read to us Romans chapter 3 in verse number 4. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So he's saying that there is a way to be justified in our sayings, and that we might just overcome when we are judged. Now, we're going to skip down to verse number 20 of chapter 3, and he'll continue to read. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So he's saying, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. No man can be justified by upholding the law. He says, but, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, we know what sin is by way of the law, but the law could not save you from sin. Now, we're going to go to verse number 24, and Paul continues with this topic of justification being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So here he begins to clarify that we are being justified freely without cause to ourselves, by the grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And here in a few moments, we're going to discuss what is the grace of God and what is that redemption through Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, you're freely being justified or you're freely being made righteous in the sight of God, not by anything that you're doing, but through his grace and his redemptive plan that is only in Jesus Christ. In verse 28, he continues. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So here he says, we know that a man is justified by faith without the work of the law. But how is this accomplished? What is this faith that Paul is referring to? Is this faith simply something where whereby we just acknowledge something? Or is this a faith that requires a response? Then we go to Romans chapter 4 in verse number 2. And again, Paul continues on with this topic of justification. So in Romans chapter 4, verse number 2, it says this. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So he says, for if Abraham were justified by any of his own works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. See, Abraham was made righteous, not by any of his works, but he was made righteous by his faith and obedience to God. There was nothing in and of himself that he could do to save himself. 
Abraham could not make himself righteous. No matter how he dressed, no matter how he talked, no matter how good a deeds Abraham could do, none of those works would justify him. If it were possible, then he could glory in his own works. But Paul says, but he could not do that before God because only God can justify man. Now, Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Paul again talks to us about justification, and it says this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he's saying, therefore, being justified by faith. Again, we must ask ourselves, what type of faith is this? Well, as we continue on, we discover what faith is what faith looks like in a believer's life. But he's saying, therefore, being justified only by faith, he says, there there you have peace with God through what? Only through Jesus Christ. Only through the work of Christ can you find peace with God. In verse number nine, he says this, Much more than being now justified by his blood. Now, let me stop you there. Much more than now being justified by what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. By the work that was done at Calvary. Not any blood that we had shed, but the blood that was shed by Jesus. This is what justifies us. Continue to read. We shall be saved from wrath through him. We're only saved from the wrath and the judgment of sin by Jesus Christ. It is a work that he did freely. It cost you nothing. It cost me nothing. He came and robed himself in flesh, died for the sins of humanity. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. Our sins and iniquity was laid upon him. And he was crucified for our sin. Buried in a borrowed tomb for three days. And resurrected again in the glory of God. This is the work of Jesus Christ. This is the work that atones humanity. Now, Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. And listen to what he says. Moreover, who he did predestinate. Moreover, who he did predestinate. Now, this is not an individual predestination, but this is a collective predestination of the church, the bride of Christ. To be conformed to the image of his son. Go back to uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. Them he also called. Them he also called. And whom he called. And those that he called. Them he also justified. He justified them through his own work. Read. And whom he justified. And those whom he justified and made righteous. Them he also glorified. Those were also glorified. So we see in Romans 8 and 30 that there was a predestinated church, a predestined bride, that he had called, 
again, it reminds me of the scripture where we are called, where we are chosen. We make our call and election sure. But those that he calls, he justifies through the work that he did at Calvary. And those that he justified and made righteous were also glorified. They're glorified through the resurrection. They're glorified through the newness of life that only comes by way of the Holy Ghost. Now, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4. And here Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. Read. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. He says, I know nothing of myself, but am I not hereby justified? Read. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. He's saying the one that judges me, the one that makes me righteous is not man. It's not the high priest. It's not the church. But the one that judges me and justifies me is the one that sits upon the throne, the one that shed his blood, the one that gave his life, the one that was glorified in the resurrection. It's in Jesus Christ. Then he goes over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11. And again, Paul continues with justification. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, what's interesting here is we're going to back up and we're going to start reading again at verse number 9. And we're going to read verses 9 and 10, and then we're going to come back to this verse number 11. But listen to what Paul says about sin and the sin nature and those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Read. Know ye not. Know ye not. That the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. No unrighteous people, those that are not justified, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Read. Be not deceived. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators. Fornicators. Nor idolaters. No idolaters. Nor adulterers. Nor effeminate. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves. Nor covetous. Nor drunkards. Nor revilers. Nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people that are working in in the flesh of unrighteousness shall inherit the kingdom of God. They are not righteous, and they have not been justified by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because they have not responded to the gospel of Jesus. Read. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Some of you were just like these people that Paul has listed. But he says... But such were some of you. They are not justified by the work of Christ. But such were some of you. You have been justified by the work of Christ. Read. But ye are washed. You're washed. How are we washed? You're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ through repentance. But ye are sanctified. You are sanctified. You are made holy and you are set apart and you are consecrated for the work of God. 
But ye are justified. But ye are justified. See, there is a difference between sanctification and justification. Justification is what saves you. Sanctification is your response to your justification. Sanctification is a showing of your appreciation for the work of Christ in your life. Sanctification is the process where you and Christ work in tandem to preserve you for himself. So you are sanctified and you are justified. Read. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. How are you justified in the name of the Lord Jesus? You are justified in his name through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Read. And by the Spirit of our God. And you are justified by the Spirit of our God. How? Through baptism of his Spirit, through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So here he reads, and and as he reads this passage of Scripture, we see that not only were we sinners who were unjustified, but we are washed. We're washed through repentance. His blood washes us. We're sanctified. We're justified in the name of the Lord through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God through receiving his Spirit through Spirit baptism. Now, this is an example of being made righteous, being justified. And then we're going to go back to the book of Acts and we're going to look at this process of justification. Now, in the letter to the Galatians, in uh, Galatians chapter 2, in verse number 16, Paul writes this to the church at Galatia. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop you right there, Brother Clay. Knowing that a man is not justified by any work of keeping the law, but only by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Read. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. That we might be justified by the faith of Christ. That we might be justified and made righteous by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law. And not by any work of law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Because no matter how, You try to keep the law. You will never be justified. You will never be made righteous through trying to keep law. You're only found righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. You didn't pay for it. You didn't buy it. It was given through grace and mercy that he said, I will make the atonement for the sins of humanity. And this is what we call justification. Now, read to us in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For 
The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Now, is this faith simply an acknowledgement of the work of Christ? Or is this faith that we see a response of obedience to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We have to ask ourselves, are we just acknowledging, yes, this happened? Or are we going to respond to that? Is there something that must be done on our part? I declare to you that we must obey the gospel, that we must repent of our sins, be baptized in his name, filled with the Holy Ghost. This is not a work of our own, but this is a response to the gospel. Now, He says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 24, read. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The law was a schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. That we may be justified by faith. That again, we are justified by faith. Now, read Galatians 5 and 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you whatsoever, of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. He said, any one of you that think that you are justified by the law, Christ is of no effect to you. Now, I want us to pause and think about that for a moment. Paul is saying, if you're so dependent upon the law, upon the rules and the regulations and the traditions then you have made the work of Christ of no effect. You're trying to maintain the law. You're trying to be found righteous under the law, and you are negating the work of Jesus Christ. You are failing to acknowledge that your salvation only comes in and by and through him. And you are falling from grace. Friends, I don't know about you, but I do not want to be fallen from the grace of God. I don't want God to look at me and despise me because I have become so dependent upon myself and the works that I do that I forget I can only be saved through him. Now, Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the gospel. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, this is what he says. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Even the man Christ Jesus was justified only through the spirit. Only through the spirit. He writes to his son Titus, his other son in the gospel, In Titus 3 and 7, and he writes to Titus these words. That being justified by his grace. By whose grace? By Jesus Christ's grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The only way you will be an heir to eternal life is through the grace and the justification of Jesus Christ himself. You will never earn your way into heaven You will never be good enough. 
You can't dress good enough. You can't talk good enough. You cannot act good enough to earn salvation. It comes by way of the cross. It comes by the blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot fool ourselves. And so he's telling his two sons in the gospel, both Titus and Timothy, you're justified by God's grace. Don't fool yourselves, Titus. Don't fool yourselves, Timothy. Don't think that somehow you can do this on your own. You can only do it through the work of Jesus. Now, the disciple James begins to write about justification. And this is where we start to see what is true faith in the work of Christ. What does faith really look like? And the disciple James writes in James chapter 2, verse 21, these words. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now, he's asking a question. He's saying all this idea that you're not saved by works Was not Abraham saved by works? Read. When he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. He says, when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar, was he not justified by his work? Well, we know that he was. Why? Because his work was not a work of righteousness, but the work of Abraham was a work of obedience. It was not a work of righteousness. It was a work of obeying God. We have a commandment to respond to the gospel and to obey the gospel. We can't justify, but we can obey. The work that we do is a work of obedience, not a work of righteousness. Now, In James chapter 2, verse 24, just three scriptures later, this is what he says. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Now, James starts to paint a broader picture. He says, ye see how that by works a man is justified. Now keep in mind, Paul is looking at the church at Rome and saying, the work of the law will not save you. The work of the law cannot save you. Only faith in the work of Christ can save you. But James is picking up on another idea. And James is saying, don't pervert what Paul is saying to you. Don't pervert the gospel, and say, well, Paul told us we're not saved by works. James is saying the works that Paul was referring to is the works of the law. James is saying there is a work that is required, and it is the work of obedience because your obedience truly shows your faith. And so he says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by just faith alone. Well, how do we know this? Here's how. James 2 and 25 says this. Likewise also was not 
Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? Was she not found righteous by her obedience and response to the man of God? When she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way, there was a response. Rahab could have looked and said, I believe, I believe you. And she could have given no response. She could have acknowledged it, but yet not responded. But she responded in obedience. And because she did respond in obedience, guess what? She was justified. She was made righteous. So there is a proper response to the gospel. It is not a work of righteousness, but it is a work of obedience. We're going to go over to Acts chapter 2. And in the book of Acts chapter 2, we're going to, we're going to read. Uh, but what I want to do, let me go, Brother Clay, you go to Acts chapter 2. But I want to read in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and this is where Luke is writing this letter to Theophilus. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, in speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses of me both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And what did they do? Verse 12 says, And they returned into Jerusalem from the Mount of Oliviet, which was from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. They responded to Jesus and went to Jerusalem. They responded in faith to what God had commanded them to do. Now, I'm going to jump over to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives the great commission. And this is what he says. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run and bring his disciples word. And it says, and they were, and they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hell. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go and tell my brethren 
that they may go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now, this is in the beginning chapter of verses, I mean, of uh, Matthew chapter 28. Then he goes down. In verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Again, they responded. They obeyed the voice of Jesus. There was a response. Their faith led them to respond. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is where Luke begins to pick up in the book of Acts. And he begins to talk about this ascension into heaven. He talks about this proclamation, this declaration, this commission that was given by Jesus. And they responded. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. My question to you is this. Would they have received the promise had they not responded? If they had not responded to the gospel, could they have received their justification? The answer is no. In order to receive justification, you must respond to the work of Christ. You must respond through repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance or the ability to speak. This is the response. How do you know this, Brother McLeod? Because here they responded and God allowed them to harvest the promise. He allowed them to receive the promise. On the day of Pentecost, at the Feast of Gathering, he allowed them to take part. Now, we go on to see that as this is taking place, it spills out into all the city. It spilled outside of that room where those 120 people were. And it says that they all were brought together and said, these people are drunk. But then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children, and to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day 
there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. There had to be a response because they believed in Christ. They responded to Christ. Dear sir, dear ma'am, if you truly believe in the work of Jesus Christ, there must be a proper response. The proper response that leads you to justification, to be made righteous in the eyes of God, is to share in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. That is done through repentance. We doubt to sin and self. We are buried with Christ and take on his name and we're justified by his name through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. It is a symbol of our burial with Christ. And through the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which is a form of the resurrection, the resurrection of newness of life, we become new creatures when we are filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the proper response. This is what faith in the message of Jesus Christ looks like. It's not a work of righteousness. It is a work of obedience that causes us to respond. Every New Testament believer must repent of their sins. They're only justified in his name by taking on his name. And they're only justified in the spirit by taking on his spirit. You know, Brother Clay, in the denominal world, there are many that would propagate the idea that all you have to do is just believe and that there's absolutely nothing required. But when we read the Apostle James, as he gives clarification, he says, Abraham responded in obedience. Rahab responded in obedience. And every single one of us must respond to grace through a work of obedience. Um, when God began to really deal with me about this subject of justification, it opened up so many things because the truth of the matter is, is there are millions of people that are under this heavy load and burden of feeling somehow they have to earn their salvation with God. When you heard this message preached and justification was explained to you, did that change the dynamics of your walk with God? Absolutely. Talk to us about that. It's a concept that I believe that many people don't have a revelation of. They get so caught up in um, what living in living for God is for them is, is kind of just going through the motions. They kind of lose sight of, of what it means to serve God, uh, the meat of it. Um, it's important to understand that that what the process is for justification and sanctification, what uh, what it really means to each and every one of us. And um, when I heard it this morning, it, it touched me. It really opened my eyes to make me think on some things. Um, and yeah. You know, young people in Pentecost today 
they have the idea and the notion that their salvation is predicated all on them and their behaviors. This is not true. They're confusing their sanctification with their justification. And I think this is where a lot of the problem comes in, is that they think because they have failed in their sanctification process that it has cost them their salvation or their justification. But see, justification doesn't come through the work of the flesh. Justification comes through obeying the gospel. And so when we fall, when we sin, when we err, in our walk with God, we don't immediately lose our salvation. We don't immediately lose our our righteousness. We have failed in our process of sanctification. And so I want you to get, uh, go to Webster's Dictionary and let's get the definition of the word sanctification. Let's talk a little bit about sanctification because there is a difference between one's justification. To be justified means to be made righteous and not guilty in the eyes of God. Nothing I can do to plead my case will cause God to look at me differently. Only through the atonement of his blood, the remittance of my sins, and the glorification of my spirit with his spirit through Holy Ghost baptism Only this changes God's look at me. But let's talk for a moment about sanctification. What does the word sanctification mean? To set apart. To be set apart. To a sacred purpose. For a sacred purpose. We all as Christians have a purpose, and we must set aside our life for the purpose and the service of the kingdom of God. Read. To free from sin. To be free from sin. Read. To impart or impute sacredness or respect to. To impart or impute. Or impute. Sacredness. Sacredness. To be made sacred. To be reserved for a purpose. To be sanctified. In other words, sanctification is our holiness. It's our wholeness with God. It's how we're connected to God. Humanity can never be made whole or holy except through their connection with Christ. So we are justified by faith, and through our obedience, we receive justification. We receive our righteousness that is bought and paid for only by Jesus. But our response to justification is our sanctification. In other words, the process of sanctification or being consecrated to the Lord, that is a response of my appreciation. That is a showing of the value that I feel for my relationship between me and God. We are going to fail 
in the process of sanctification. But if you curse, if you uh, covet, if you tell a lie, any of these things that, that you do, just because you did this doesn't mean all of a sudden the Holy Ghost jumps out of you and you're lost and you're no longer saved. And the work of Jesus is undone. This is not true. Now, the devil would try to convince you that this is true. But this is not true. God doesn't just jump in and out of you. You fail in your sanctification. Justification is a work that God does all by himself. But sanctification is a partnership between me and the Lord. Me and the Lord work in tandem. To preserve me, to make me appealing and pleasing to him. It makes me blessable and it makes me usable in the kingdom of God. This is sanctification. Let's look at the Bible for just a moment and let's talk about sanctification. Let's talk about being sanctified. So here, when we look at the, at the term of being sanctified, let, let's read for a moment what, what the Bible says about being sanctified. Now, read for us, Brother Clay, in John chapter 10, verse 36. Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and set into the world. Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. He says, say ye of him whom the Father hath what? Sanctified. That means to be set apart, made holy, and used for the service of God himself. The Father sanctified Jesus and sent him into the world. Go with me to John 17 and 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So Jesus said, I have sanctified or set myself apart so that they also may be sanctified through what? Through truth. Who is truth? Jesus declared that he is truth. So we're sanctified through truth because he sanctified himself We sanctify ourselves. Now, in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Luke writes this. And now, brethren, I commend you to God. I commend you or I submit you to God. And to the word of his grace. To the word of his grace, the the justification. Which is able to build you up. It builds you up. And to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And it gives you an inheritance among all them that are what? Sanctified to all them that are set apart and made holy unto the Lord. Acts 26 and 18 says this. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith 
that is in me. And they are sanctified by their what? By their faith that is in me. They are set apart by their obedience and their faith that is in me. Now, Romans 15 and 16, Paul talks about sanctification. In Romans 15 and 16, it says this. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Being sanctified or set apart by what? By the Holy Ghost. They're being made holy by the work of the Holy Ghost. They're being sanctified. They're being made holy and acceptable. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 says this, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, to them that are set apart in Jesus, called to be saints, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. So again, we see this process of sanctification only comes after the work of justification. 1 Corinthians 6 and 11 reads on this wise. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. But again, you're washed. But ye are sanctified. You're sanctified in Christ Jesus. But you are sanctified. You were called to be saints. You were sanctified after you answered the call and respond to justification. Then the process of sanctification begins. And through the Holy Ghost, you and God work together to consecrate yourself for that relationship. Now, 1 Corinthians 7 and 14, I want you to listen to this concept of sanctification as it involves an unbeliever. Listen to this. For the unbelieving husband, an unbelieving husband, is sanctified by the wife. Hang on. You mean an unbelieving husband is being sanctified by the wife? Read. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. And an an unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Read. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. See, you have to understand that through the work of Jesus Christ, it even covers the unbelievers. Those that you're connected to that are unbelieving, they become sacred and sanctified and set apart by the work that God did in your life. It does not bring them justification, but it brings them a level of sanctification. This is why I must reiterate, justification saves you. Sanctification preserves you. You can't be sanctified enough to be saved. It's the preservation process. But we have an obligation to sanctify ourselves to God. 
This is a proper response to justification. My response to justification or being justified, my response is obedience to the work of Christ. Once I'm justified, my proper response is to respond through sanctification. Now, listen to what he goes on to say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and 5. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. For it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. We sanctify ourselves through applying the word of God to our life and through having a prayer life. Brother Clay, this is what sets the parameters for me and my walk with God. It's not a set of platform rules. It's not a set of of thou shalts and thou shalt not. It's not necessarily what the pastor thinks. But he says, the word of God, if you will apply the word of God to your life, it'll sanctify you. And if you'll get a prayer life and communicate with God, It'll set you apart and sanctify you. Now, read to us 2 Timothy 2 and 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. He shall purge himself of these. He'll be made a vessel of honor. Read. Sanctified. That means set apart, consecrated. And meet for the master's use. He will be made what? usable for the master and prepared unto every good work and prepared for every good work for every good response. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter two, verse 11 for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Wow. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now I want to go back to this. Because I want to start at verse number 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Friend, you don't have to taste death because he tasted death for you. Verse 10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Verse 12 goes on to say, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children of God, which God hath given me. Now, can I tell you something, friend? When we look at this passage of Scripture, 
there's one thing that we must understand, and that is this. Every individual believer is in the process of sanctification. But I cannot judge my sanctification by your sanctification. Friend, the way God is setting me apart to please him, the 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 the, the steps that I have taken to make myself holy and acceptable before him, no man can judge that. Only God. One of the greatest mistakes that we can make is to look at our brothers and sisters and think that our sanctification is somehow greater than their sanctification. You may practice things and you may have convictions towards things. And that is part of your sanctification process between you and God. But we can never get to a place. The Bible does not allow me to judge your sanctification and declare that my sanctification is greater than yours. You may have a conviction against short sleeves. You may have a conviction against wedding rings. You may have a conviction against ball games or me, and that is okay. That is your landmarks. But you cannot condemn and speak against the sanctification of other believers because their sanctification doesn't look like yours. Because their walk with God may not look like yours. All of us will go through the same process of justification. But we're always going to be at different levels of sanctification. This is why the Bible declares we don't judge ourselves among ourselves. This is dangerous. This is foolish. I have no right to judge my brother's. Or my sisters. Now, let's read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through For the offering. For by the which we are sanctified through what? Through the offering. We are sanctified, set apart, or made holy through the offering of what? Of the body of Jesus Christ. Of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. Once for all. Read verse 14. For by one offering. For by one offering. That is the offering of Jesus. He hath perfected forever. He's perfected. Them that are sanctified. He's perfected them that are sanctified. Listen, friend. You're not going to do anything in your life. They will cause you to be perfect in the eyes of God. You are only perfected by the work that he does. You're only allowed the opportunity to be sanctified as a response for the perfect work that Christ has done in you. Now, Hebrews 10 and 29 says this. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye Shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, and holy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? He's asking this question. And you see that this being's made holy and set apart of 
How much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, who hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified? Again, it's that blood and that covenant that set you apart, that makes you holy. There's nothing you can do that's going to cause you to be holy. Nothing. It's a work of the Spirit in you that leads you and guides you, that helps you to establish those boundaries in your life. Jude 1 and 1 says this, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified. To them that are sanctified, those that are holy and set apart, those that are made blessable and serviceable for the kingdom of God, by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. We're only preserved and sanctified in Jesus Christ. And here again, he closes with saying, and called, and called. You're called. You answer the call through responding, through faith and obedience to the gospel. But once you are justified and you respond to the gospel, then your response to justification is the process of sanctification. Friends, we work with Jesus to sanctify ourselves. The process of my sanctification has nothing to do with anyone but God. The word of God And what it requires of me, this sanctifies me. My prayer and the leading of the Holy Ghost in my life, this is what sanctifies me. Don't fool yourselves and think that you can possess a haughty spirit and a bad attitude and and, and boast in modesty and think that this will save you. This will not save you. Your modesty should be fruit, fruit of your justification. Your modesty should be part of your sanctification. But we cannot confuse the two. There's not enough sanctification that can take place that can justify me or save my soul. Neither is it true with you. I would encourage you today, if you have not responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have not responded in faith through obedience by repenting of your sins, being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and if you have not been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of having spoken in tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance, I would encourage you to respond in faith through obedience. And allow the hand of God and the spirit of Jesus Christ to lead you through that process of sanctification in his kingdom. Brother Clay, do you have any closing remarks? I just think that it's an important um, concept that every Christian needs to to get a revelation of. Uh, I believe if if... 
if we all got a revelation of what it meant um, and the difference between justification and sanctification, I think it could change the course of our walk with God. Absolutely. And and how we serve the Lord every day. Absolutely. You know, Brother Clay, I think when we get to a place where we realize that it's the work that God does in us that saves us, it takes the pressure off. But it also allows us to understand just how much God really loves us. It really causes us to realize that when I do fail in my sanctification, I don't have to run from God. I don't have to run from him. I can run to him. And we can continue the process of my sanctification. But I realize there is a peace in knowing once God justifies me, there's nothing that can take that away. Now, in in Christendom, there's an idea of once saved, always saved. Well, this is not necessarily true because just because you're justified and saved, you can't lose your salvation because you didn't give yourself salvation, but you can walk away from your salvation. We see that through the story of the prodigal son. We see that the son had an inheritance, but he chose to leave. He chose to leave behind his namesake. He chose to leave behind his inheritance, right? He was given a portion. And see, this is what people fail to realize. In the story, he was given a portion, but he was not given all of the inheritance. Because when he came back, it was all restored to him. You can leave the kingdom of God with your talents that God has given you. You can leave with the blessings that God gave you. But you can't take your justification with you. Nor could the prodigal son. But the beauty of the story is this. Is that the prodigal son says, I have sinned against God and my father. I'll go and I'll be as a laborer and I'll work in the field. But when that father saw that prodigal son, he restored him. He restored him. He was telling that prodigal son, son, there's nothing you can do to earn your way back in this house. I'm giving it to you freely because it's already been paid for. Amen. That's the beauty of living for God is that God has already done the hard part. What I've got to do is just work with him to make me usable and blessable and savable through the process of sanctification. This is the beauty of it. We're made perfect only through him. You're only perfect through the Holy Ghost. You'll never be made perfect through your behaviors. So young people, I would encourage you, if you have fallen, if you have made mistakes, you need to understand the Bible says there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Once you are in Christ, you do not have to feel condemnation because you made a mistake. You should feel conviction, but conviction and condemnation is not the same thing. Conviction will drive you to God. Condemnation drives you away from him. We must understand that God has given us the opportunity to come boldly before the throne as the sons and the daughters of God.
This is a work that he does. So friend, when you make a mistake, when you fail in that process of sanctification, when you lose your consecration to God and his kingdom, when you find yourself slipping away, don't run. Don't let the devil tell you you've lost your salvation. You may be struggling, but the work of Christ is still in you. What you have to do is find yourself an altar and you got to go back and repent and say, God, I need your help. Help me pick up where I left off in my sanctification because I want you to be pleased with me. Amen. Brother Clay, I've enjoyed having you here on the podcast today. Listener, we hope that this podcast has given you clarity about the subjects of justification and sanctification. I hope that it's brought peace to someone's mind today and allowed you to realize that there is hope for you. God loves you and God is for you. He is not against you. And God allows you the opportunity to partner with him to make sure that you and your family and those around you are saved and brought to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. God bless you, and until we meet again, 